No, no pressure following Owen Jones. Jesus. Because I'm going to forget, I just want to thank you in advance for cheering wildly um, at the end of my talk. I'll, uh... Who remembers these? Um, not envelopes. We all know what envelopes are. Uh, but letters. That might seem like a stupid thing to say, but in 20 years from now, I think that's going to be you know, quite, a, quite a pertinent question uh, because the younger generation... They're not writing letters anymore, um, and they're losing out on a huge scale for so many reasons. And what I want to do is just tell you about how I came to start Letters of Note and how the book came about, and then tell you how that kind of led on to lists of note quite organically. Um, this is the modern-day equivalent to finding a, a letter from a friend on your doorstep, and it's the, the grimmest thing I can think of. Um, I get these all day, and I, I hate them. Um, whereas every time I get, a, well, this is very rarely, but whenever I get um, an envelope on the on the doormat that's not a bill or a final demand, which is very rare, um, my heart sinks because I could just imagine it coming as a letter instead, and how much joy I'd get from that. Um, but who who can blame the people that don't write letters anymore? Because it's so much effort to get out a typewriter. Not that anyone has typewriters anymore, but to find a pen, a piece of paper. Um, to write a letter, to find an envelope, to put it in an envelope, to lick it, uh, to take it to the post box, to post it, um, and then wait two weeks for a reply. Um, just talking about it makes me fall asleep. So, and I'm, I'm as bad as the next person. I, I, I write emails all the time, and I kick myself every time I do it. Um, but it really is worth the effort. I know from personal experience, when I, uh, 12 years ago, um, I met the lady who is now my wife, Karina. Um, and we had what, what is, I thought at the time was the, the worst possible start to our relationship. After Two weeks after we started dating, she moved away to Spain uh, for 10 months, um, which is terrible, you'd think. But we decided, um, we actively made the decision to stay in touch by letter. Before this, I'd, I'd not been a champion of letter writing. I'd, I didn't really have a passion um, when it came to letter writing. But we, we wrote to each other over these 10 months, you know, once or twice a week, once, once every fortnight, depending on our mood. Um, and it, was, it really was the best possible start because by the end of that 10 months, we knew each other so well that when we, when we met again, um, we, were, we were like best friends. We'd fallen in love through letters. And it was, I, the seed was kind of sown for me at that point. Um, and then five years ago in 2009, I decided to start a website called Letters of Note on which I collate all these amazing letters from throughout history and basically take credit for everyone else's work. Um, but it did really well. And then in 2012, it kind of peaked to the website. And in the space of 24 hours one day, um, we had 3 million visitors uh, just reading letters, um, which I just found absolutely amazing. That's when I realized the project had legs and that letter writing itself um, had legs. I just want to, I'm going to race through it a little bit because there's so much to, to, to show you. Um, I'm just going to go through some letters first of all. Um, in 1934, sorry about the notes as well, by the way, um, but I cannot memorize these letters. This was in 1934, a guy called Robert Piroche. He was a copywriter um, in America and he wanted to become a screenwriter. So he wrote this standard form job application letter and sent it to all the Hollywood studios he could find addresses for. Um, and it got him a job with MGM, and he went on to win a, an Oscar for this film, uh, Battlefield. 
This is just the most perfect job application letter. Dear sir, I like words. I like fat, buttery words such as ooze, turpitude, gluttonous, toady. I like solemn, angular, creaky words such as straight-laced, cantankerous, pecunious, valedictory. I like spurious, black-as-white words such as mortician, liquidate, tonsorial, demimonde. I like suave V words such as Svengali, svelte, bravura, verve. I like crunchy, brittle, crackly words such as splinter, grapple, jostle, crusty. I like sullen, crabbed, scowling words, such as skulk, glower, scabby, churl. I like, oh heavens, my gracious landsake words, such as tricksy, tucker, genteel, horrid. I like elegant, flowery words, such as estivate, peregrinate, elysium, halcyon. I like wormy, squirmy, mealy words, such as crawl, blubber, squeal, drip. I like sniggly, chuckling words, such as cowlick, gurgle, bubble, and burp. Didn't make a mistake. I like the word screenwriter better than copywriter, so I decided to quit my job in a New York advertising agency and try my luck in Hollywood. But before taking the plunge, I went to Europe for a year of study, contemplation, and horsing around. I've just returned, and I still like words. May I have a few with you? Uh, Robert Pirosh. Which I, I, I can't find fault with that. Uh, this, I don't know if you can read that. This is, this is a memo written by a comedy script editor for the BBC back in uh, 1974. He'd just watched, he just read, sorry, the, uh, the script for the pilot of Faulty Towers. Um, and he said, I'm afraid I thought this one as dire as its title. It's a kind of Prince of Denmark of the hotel world, a collection of cliches and stock characters, which I can't see being anything but a disaster. <laughs> Signed, Ian uh, Main, and he must be so pleased that I brought this to light and... and and published it in a best-selling book. Um, but it was thanks to the persistence of John Cleese and his wife that they, yeah, the BBC just, just had to listen to John Cleese in the end. Um, and he was interviewed about it a few years ago, and he said, um, it just goes to prove that BBC haven't got a clue what they're doing. Uh, from the funny to the, the desperately sad, um, Virginia Woolf was, was plagued by mental illness uh, throughout her life. Um, and in 1941, she took her own life. Um, she walked into the River Ouse with her pockets full of um, rocks. Um, uh, just before her body was found, um, her husband, Leonard, uh, found a letter on the mantelpiece at home. I won't read the whole thing, um, but it says, Dearest, I feel certain that I'm going mad again. I feel we can't go through another of these terrible times, and I shan't recover this time. I begin to hear voices, and I can't concentrate. So I'm doing what seems the best thing to do. You've given me the greatest possible happiness. You've been in every way all that anyone could be. I don't think two people could, uh, could have been happier till this terrible disease came. Uh, then it ends. Everything has gone from me but the certainty of your goodness. I can't go on spoiling your life any longer. I don't think two people could have been happier than we have been. V. Just uh, desperately sad. Um, I get asked quite a lot because there's so many sad, depressing letters in the book and on the website. I get asked, what, what, have I got a problem? Like, why do I put all these <laughs> horrifically sad letters in? Why are you always making me cry? Um, but I just can't think of anything. It's kind of perverse, but I can't think of anything more enjoyable than, than reading a, a desperately sad letter. I don't know what that says about me. I apologize, though. Um, Frank Lloyd Wright, who was one of the most famous architects in, in the history of architecture, uh, an American architect. Um, in 1956, a 12 year old boy um, called Jim Berger wrote to Frank Lloyd Wright and said, Can you design me a doghouse for my dog? Um, and Frank Lloyd Wright, who must have been one of the busiest people in the world as well, 
he was always, always um, designing buildings. Um, he wrote back to this little boy and, and he said, you know, write back to me in a few months and I'll think about it. You know, which, you know, you'd think he was trying to fob him off. But the little boy did write back a few, a few months later. Frank Lloyd Wright replied again. There's this lovely chain of correspondence that I haven't got time to go through. But in the end, Frank Lloyd Wright did actually design this doghouse. Now, what happened was I had to get permission to use this, this letter in the book or this chain of correspondence in this picture. So I wrote to the estate of Frank Lloyd Wright and I explained it and I, I gave them a draft of the introduction to the letter in, in the book. Uh, at the end of the introduction, originally, it said, well, and this was the truth, the dog hated the doghouse and, and he slept outside it. He refused to go inside. Um, and so the, the end of my intro in the, in the book, the, the original intro was, um, and the sting in the tail, haha. The sting in the tail is the dog hated the house and it was destroyed 10 years later. But Frank Lloyd, Frank Lloyd Wright's estate said to me, you can use the letter, but you have to take out. You can't mention the fact that the dog hates the letter. So I agreed to take it out, but now every time I talk about the book, I make a point of... Because they, <laughs> because they say... <laughs> they never mentioned me talking about it, so I, I really... I think it's just such a lovely addition to the story. Uh, Nick Cave, uh, in 1996, he was, hang on a minute. He was nominated as Best Male Artist by MTV. Up until this, this was his album, Murder Ballads, which featured PJ Harvey and Kylie Minogue. And because it featured these people, well, this is what he thinks. Um, MTV took, you know, recognized it and said, um, we're going to nominate you as Best Male Artist. And he said to me, up until this point, I'd just been ignored. So I was really, <laughs> really annoyed. Um, so he wrote them a, re a rejection letter of the nomination. And it's worth saying, I think, that the, the letter was written entirely in capital letters. It's all uppercase. To all those at MTV, I would like to start by thanking you all for the support you have given me over recent years, and I'm both grateful and flattered by the nominations that I've received for Best Male Artist. The airplay given to both the Kylie Minogue and PJ Harvey duets from my latest album, Murder Ballads, has not gone unnoticed and has been greatly appreciated. So again, my sincere thanks. Having said that, I feel that it's necessary for me to request that my nomination for Best Male Artist be withdrawn and furthermore any awards or nominations for such awards that may arise in later years be presented to those who feel more comfortable with the competitive nature of these awards ceremonies. I myself do not. I have always been of the opinion that my music is unique and individual and exists beyond the realms inhabited by those who would reduce things to mere measuring. I am in competition with no one. My relationship with my muse is a delicate one at the best of times, and I feel that it is my duty to protect her from influences that may offend her fragile nature. She comes to me with the gift of song, and in return, I treat her with the respect I feel she deserves. In this case, this means not subjecting her to the indignities of judgment and competition. My muse is not a horse, and I am in no horse race, and if indeed she was, still I would not harness her to this tumbrel, this bloody cart of severed heads and glittering prizes. <laughs> My muse may spook, may bolt, may abandon me completely. So once again to the people at MTV, I appreciate the zeal and energy that was put behind my last record. I truly do, and say thank you. And again, I say thank you, but no, no thank you. <laughs> Yours sincerely, Nick Cave. Uh, and he, we, we did an, we've done some events called Letters Live where people get up and perform these letters, you know, for, artists and, and actors and musicians and Nick Cave came to the first one and he got up on stage and he read his own letter out he read that letter and it's just the most incredible experience uh, just imagine that was Nick Cave um, it was while I was, I was searching through all these letters 
um, and I was searching through archives and museums and books, and I, I, I kept finding lists that were also interesting. <laughs> uh, so I decided to, I decided to start a project called Lists of Note. And this was the very first one. It's the first one in the book, and it's the first one that, I, that kind of made me think that I should make a book. This was written by Johnny Cash. Uh, you, can, you can probably read it. Not smoke, kiss June, that's his wife, thankfully. Uh, not kiss anyone else, cough, pee, eat. Not eat too much, worry, go see mama, practice piano, uh, and not write notes at the bottom. So that's the first one in the book. There's the book, just in case you want to see what it looks like. That should, at the top of this, it should say, why do we like lists? Just imagine that's written there. Um, we like lists, I think, because they bring relief. Um, it's such a chaotic world. We're all so busy that, uh, well, I find anyway that writing a list and kind of breaking things down into lists really does give me relief. And it, um, it momentarily, anyway, uh, makes me feel a little better about my life. Um, we fear the wild. Humans love to categorize things and put things into spreadsheets and, and, and kind of rank things. Um, and uh, yeah, we just fear the unknown. And so to, so to classify things and to list them really helps us. Um, nothing cuts through the thick fog. Nothing cuts through the thick fog <coughs> of writer's block like, um, like a list. When I get writer's block, I write lists. I, I you know, um, divide everything I've got to do into lists. Um, everyone's a critic. We love ranking things. It makes us feel knowledgeable. Um, and lists are easily digested. Like a website like BuzzFeed, I don't know if you've been on BuzzFeed, one of the most popular websites in the world that's just full of lists and they, they divide, they, they kind of boil everything into the, into the most um, mundane lists. I don't see the appeal of it really. Um, but that's why we love lists. I'll just race through these. Um, in 1939, um, Gone with the Wind had been made, and it was close to being released, and the MPAA in America said the word damn was too offensive in the, word, in the line, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn, which was, that has been voted the most famous line in, in cinema history. So the producers came up with some alternatives, um, and they're terrible. <laughs> they get worse as you go down. I'm just going to read out a few. Frankly, my dear, I don't care. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a hoot. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a whoop. Frankly, my dear, you can go to the devil for all of me. Frankly, my dear, my indifference is boundless. Frankly, my dear, it is of no consequence. Frankly, my dear, I've withdrawn from the battle. Frankly, my dear, the whole thing is a stench in my nostrils. <laughs> Frankly, my dear, it makes my gorge rise. Uh, thankfully, the MPAA uh, changed their mind at the very end and, uh, and allowed them to use it. Uh, this is uh, Richmond Golf Club. Um, in 1940, as the Battle of Britain was taking hold, um, they changed their clubhouse rules to account for the bombs that were falling. Um, and it's things like, um, a ball moved by enemy action may be replaced, or if lost or destroyed, <laughs> uh, a ball may be dropped, but not nearer the hole without penalty. Um, a ball lying in a crater may be lifted and dropped, not nearer the hole, preserving the line to the hole without penalty. Uh, a player, who's a, a player whose stroke is affected by the simultaneous explosion of a bomb may play another ball from the same place. Uh, penal <laughs> penalty one stroke. You're getting penalized for a bomb dropping. Uh, Albert Einstein, one of the cleverest people ever to have lived, um, was, was a bit of an arsehole, to be honest. He, he wrote um, his, his marriage to his wife was failing. And he said to her, I will only agree to stay with you if, um, 
Oh, no, I've got to, I've got to stop. Um, he was saying, uh, he said to his wife, um, I'll only continue our marriage if you agree to these conditions. It was things like, that's his handwriting there. You will make sure that my clothes and laundry are kept in good order. You will make sure that I receive my three meals regularly in my room. You will renounce all personal relations with me insofar as they are not completely necessary for social reasons. <laughs> Specifically, you will forego my sitting at home with you, my going out or traveling with you. You will obey the following points in your relations with me. You will not expect any intimacy from me, nor will you reproach me in any way. You will, not, you will stop talking to me if I request it. You will leave my bedroom or study immediately without protest if I request it. Uh, the last one is, you will undertake not to belittle me in front of our children, either through words or behavior. And she agreed to them, um, but the, the marriage failed in the end anyway. So, <laughs> Do I have time just to read one letter? No, I don't. Hey, thank you. Right. I just wanted to end on this letter. Ignore all that. That's not me. Right. So this, I've searched for this letter high and low for months and months and months, and then I finally found it just after the book had gone into production, so I couldn't use it. So whenever I get the chance, I, I read it out. This was written by Stephen King before he became famous. It was in 1969, and it was to his friend Maureen, and it's perfect for so many reasons. Dear Maureen, I think I must be writing you because of the snow. All this snow, it sets off strange thoughts in the head, or at least in my head, which is always filled with middling strange thoughts. Big storm, biggest I've seen in years. I think it's grand. I don't like snow and I don't like winter, but something like this just overwhelms you, makes you love it. Well, maybe every snow hater harbors a secret love for big blizzards. Almost wish it would keep on forever and bury everything. The stupid passions, pointless lusts, the pollution, the pretentious ideas, the crap and the crud, the skiers and the swimmers, the tobogganers and the campers alike. Can you see it? Four feet, then six, then ten. Snowplow after snowplow stalled and stranded in huge white drifts like monoliths. Yellow islands and snow-crusted windows. And finally, the last one stalled out and all the precarious paths and one-lane roadways drift in. Maybe 20 people are stranded in the den. Gain is slowly changing to sobriety, sobriety to solemnity, solemnity to silence. The jukebox plays on and on in an echoing cavern. The windows are white. Upstairs, one of the big front doors has been jammed open and a blown drift now lies on the stairs like the skeletal finger of a fallen giant. A sound of wind around the windows. Cards from the ride board lie scattered on the wind tunnel hall floor in spuriously gay pink and yellow piles as if ghostly New Year's Eve celebrants had passed this way and then passed on, leaving only their confetti written with the destinations of other people's lives. The power fails, the emergency generators are gone, the record on the jukebox dies, guitars, drums and organ elongating, deepening, dying. Snow, fine as sand, whirlpools under the doors, and these last sit at their tables in the cool blue darkness of February forever, buried in a union that is now an iceberg. Their fingers grow numb, and toes frost on the silverware in delicate lacework patterns. Coffee sludge freezes in the bottom of cups, a darkness that fell early, breath in frosty plumes, a final frozen silence, no more fire, ice this time. Morbid but oddly beautiful, big world out there, big dark, but little us. Very little, all of us inscribed in our magic circles, hidden under eyeshadow and beards, under beads and buttons like cave people cowering under rocks. We play with reality with all the confidence of a baby playing with a pistol. We give it names, we cling to each other. In a lot of my writing, I've been worried about the morbid, about things that lurk. Maybe those things, my big snowstorms, for instance, are only part of an urge to externalize the internal monster in all of us. Auden said it better, 
We're all children in a haunted wood who have never been happy nor wise nor good. And we wander through a haunted woodland, holding hands, knowing that here there be tigers. And we can only catch glimpses of them behind us, stalking, green eyes flaring like battle lanterns. So I hate the snow, but I love it too. At least then, part of my fears become unknown. Take it easy, Steve. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>